0: Episode 292. Teledoc buys Lavongo. What are the implications for providers, employers, and the market? Part two. Today, I speak with Dr. Matt Anderson, and then we'll also hear from Brian Klepper, PhD.
1: American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know talking. Relentlessly seeking value.
0: Welcome to Episode 292, Part 2. This is the second part of a two-part episode, but in a way, you can listen to whichever part you want first. So if you wound up here first, no worries. Just go back when you have a sec and listen to Part 1. There's some good stuff there you don't want to miss, including some background information that might be good to have. This episode, as well as the last one, is about Teladoc buying Lavango. I am going to call the combined organization TNL because I heart acronyms as much as you do. Here's the thing with TNL they're not alone in their quest to disrupt the traditional healthcare delivery market. You also have Aetna making a plan design that advantages CVS clinics, you got Humana doing the home health thing. You got Walmart and Oak Street hooking up in Texas and risk contracting with managed Medicaid and Medicare Advantage. You have employers across the country direct contracting with centers of excellence and buy-in bundles. Also, speaking of employers, on the on-site clinic space, Premise Health just recently acquired care here. These two organizations will reach 11 million eligible lives at 2,200 customers in 300 markets. All this being said, let me make a fairly obvious point increasingly, the competition is going to be about outcomes or perceived outcomes. Competition is going to be around the value delivered, i.e. quality divided by cost. This I like. To me, it's a tragedy that the healthcare industry can get away with charging prices no one would consider fair and delivering subpar healthcare, let alone health. I want some of these organizations that do a really nice job coordinating care and which patients really appreciate to do well by doing good. And I love that some of the payers out there, some of the employers and even some of the Medicare Advantage and other health plans recognize the value that that these organizations can deliver. But let's consider the implications of this. Notably, here's one few, probably even the very best. For example, endocrinology practices or maybe even cardiology practices have a bead on how well they ultimately attenuate downstream medical costs. They might not even know, outside of what they are required to report for quality incentives, how well they are consistently creating better patient outcomes. Livongo does, or at least claims they do, and lots of employers and plans buy the results they're selling to the tune of something like $300 million in sales this year. Here's what I don't like. What is shaking out is a turf war, and the weapon of choice may or may not be authentically better patient outcomes. Some of the weaponry here is built on a marketing chassis. I'm making air quotes, but you can't see them. The one who has the best marketing shall triumph. People judge books by their covers, and that's a cliche for a reason. You can read Al Lewis's blog post on Lavongo where he dug into their purported results then listen with your left ear to some of the chatter on the street about how Lavongo is more of an employee retention tool than, you know, a clinical tool. I don't know where these rumors started, but I keep hearing that because the Lavongo NPS net promoter score is high and employees, including executives, think it's pretty cool as a service that maybe... Given this, that it's okay if many of the Lavongo charts and graphs don't have labels on their y-axes and kind of don't make sense if you actually sit there and stare at them, as I have done. All this, I just said, background noise. The games have begun, and the winners will be those who consumers slash patients love. It'll be the ones who know how to market to employers or Medicare Advantage plans. It'll be the ones who can succeed in risk-based models. There you go. There are your three success factors. Today, I speak with Matt Anderson, MD, MBA. Matt sees the ecosystem through the eyes of an innovation leader at a health system. And my finale interview of our two-part series here is Brian Klepper, PhD, principal over at Worksite Health Advisors. Brian will speak from the POV, the point of view of employers. My name is Stacey Richter. This podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. And now I'd like to welcome to the show Matt Anderson, MD, MBA. Matt is the Clinical Innovation Director for Banner Innovation Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value,
1: Matt. Hey, thanks, Stacey. It's, uh, it's fantastic to be back.
0: Lavongo Teledoc or Teledoc Lavongo. Do You just want to give a bit of a situation analysis from your standpoint, obviously sitting in the middle of a large health system.
1: How do you see the current goings on? At this point in time, they're really our vendor. They're, our, they're the tool that we use uh, as clinicians and as a health system. They expand our reach. They allow us to do things that we're not normally doing in our own four walls of clinical practice
0: telehealth, before COVID at least, has traditionally been more of a teleurgent care, if you will. So, you know, you've got a similar setup. Somebody calls in, they're not necessarily talking to one of your physicians. They're talking to a physician somewhere else if one of your patients needs help in the middle of the night and wants a telemedicine appointment.
1: Exactly. And they... Like I said, they sort of expand that reach. They expand what you're what you're doing a little bit in terms of how you can provide services without sort of outsourcing some of those services. You know, you're really using them as a tool. And I think one of the things about the merger between Teladoc and Livongo is that as they start to go into the future and they're really starting to provide more continuity, you know, they're really encroaching on the things that we do as clinicians and the, as medical groups and as health systems. So you know, they're really starting to become someone who can provide that continuity of care in a way that I don't think anybody's really done before. And so you know, you've taken something that really was a vendor and a tool and an extension of a medical group, a clinical group, a health system And now you've really created something that provides a very at baseline similar service in a very different way. And so they become a competitor in that in that future state.
0: With the disruption of COVID, suddenly the line between in real life, you know, IRL care (laughs) and virtual care starts to blur. The patient journey isn't one or the other. So it's interesting what you say that that's something that's certainly on your radar that now you know your former vendor is becoming a competitor exactly. do you actually see that entity starting to erode market share, or do you regard this as some kind of positive, some game that the market's going to expand, which some people point to telehealth and claim?
1: I think there's a couple of things that I worry about and from a health system standpoint. you know one is when you are competing for patients, by definition, you're competing for revenue. And all of the patients who may be using a different service for some of that traditional in-person care, if they're using someone else completely different in a digital space, you know that's a patient that's not coming into your office. That's a patient who may not be using your lab tests. That's a patient who may not be getting the right referrals to your in-network specialists. And so you lose a lot of control in that way. You lose not only the upfront revenue, but you lose that downstream revenue to your specialists and to your hospitals when you're thinking about a systems, Patients are going to, if they have an option like a Teledoc and Lavongo and their insurance incentivizes them to use something like that or a similar new competitor on the market, or they get disincentivized by their insurance to be in-person. It's gonna be cheaper for for the system, for the um, the payer to really pay for you know a Teledoc Lavongo rather than in-person care. You just you lose a lot of the things that you control as a health system. You're losing that revenue. You know, the other thing I think about is data. You know, you're really going to start to compete on data a little bit. There's going to be a lot of great data out there. There's going to be a lot of data on those patients and what happens with that. What do you do with that? And secondly, just the sharing of data. It's already difficult sometimes for health systems in the same community to communicate. I mean, just think about it. We're still printing out records from one EMR and faxing it over and scanning it into the other EMR. So now you've got this other third party that's you know even more different, you know, how is that going to change you know what you do as a health system there in terms of how you how you connect that data, how do you get that data, how do you make sure that you know we're not increasing mistakes, we're not increasing that loss of data. Those are two you know just that the competition for patients and that that issue around data are two things that I think about a lot.
0: And then also the third thing that you said was losing control of the yeah. you know patient journey, if you will. You touched on something that I found fascinating, which is the plans, health plans role in all this. Because, you know, let's keep in mind here that plans have been the most scaled adopter of telehealth in a lot of ways. Plans have been offering Teladoc. Plans have been offering Lavango. You know, if plans are disincenting, they might not be disincenting telehealth. They might be disincenting virtual care provided by anybody other than themselves. So now all of a sudden you're competing against a plan.
1: Yep. At baseline, their goal is to provide care, but at the lowest cost possible. And, you know, before you may have had some pushback from patients, I think the pandemic has really changed a lot of people's minds about what you can do virtually. There's a lot of things that, are really, are not, they're not fun. I guess fun is not the right word, but it's not always fun to go to your doctor. You know, you're taking time out from work, time out from family, you're driving, you're sitting in a waiting room. People get comfortable with it because they have to. And then all of a sudden, it's, it's more of a, a want becomes a need. And they're going to feel comfortable connecting with clinicians. They're going to be comfortable taking care of a lot of their healthcare needs. I think people are just going to get more and more comfortable with that. And if there are more options or if there are incentives to use some of those things, you think about some of the other companies that are out there that are using sort of behavioral economics to really push behavior change in chronic disease by incentivizing monetarily for taking care of your own, your own diabetes, your own high blood pressure, things like that. So I think there's definitely going to be more and more options for patients and options that they're going to feel comfortable with.
0: Yeah, for sure. And if you start going down that path, what you've got is you've got teledoc, you've got Livongo. Adding the chronic care management onto the platform, it enables a relationship, which is something that the the more Teladoc-y <laughs> telehealth platforms have, have sort of lacked and which some patients certainly want that relationship. Teladoc and Livongo both trumpet their net promoter scores. They have a seamless and gorgeous <laughs> user experience yeah. that they built their platform to achieve. I don't know that people are going to be so forgiving if like you can go on a virtual platform and have an amazing experience or you can struggle through some kind of like weird email with 95 instructions at your to see your local and doctor.
1: Download two different apps, four different <laughs> usernames and six passwords. Yeah, you know, stuff exactly. Like that. Yes.
0: <laughs> so in the face of this, you know, what advice do you have for provi- like, you know, what is a forward thinking provider organization doing right now?
1: I think a health system today should be looking at Teladoc and Livongo as sort of a Sputnik-type moment, that this is going to be a a space race for healthcare innovation right now. That's really what we're facing. We're facing things that we can't even imagine in terms of companies coming together, the breadth and scope of digital companies in the next three to five years. It's going to be a space race. And... I think you have to be committed to the investment of digital and connected health in your health system. I think the people who are going to do the best out of this are going to be the people who really understand what their patients want in a, both an in-person and virtual experience. If you can design situations that patients feel great coming out of both of those and you give patients the option, you give clinicians and patients the options to to determine where the best site of care is. I think you're going to do really, really well. I think the people who think that this is all going to be a fad and you can keep doing it exactly the way you're doing it and just hope that you can get enough high volume, high margin surgical procedures in your hospital to take care of everything. I don't think you're going to succeed. I think you have to be committed to that space race. You have to be able to think three to five years down the road and say, this is who we're really competing against. How much are we willing to invest to make this happen? You know, I think one of the biggest things that people aren't thinking about is talent. When you think about the most important bit of talent in a health system, it's really the clinicians. It's the people who provide the care. It's, it's doctors, it's nurses, it's nurse practitioners and PAs. It's that talent that really drives healthcare systems. And now all of a sudden you you were used to competing against each other. We're used to competing against other health systems in town, other health systems across the country. And now we're gonna start competing against places like TeleDoc and Livongo. They're gonna need physicians on their side who are a little bit more engaged, aren't as transactional as that sort of urgent care model, but are really doing that continuity care. And so being prepared to invest in talent and make sure that talent doesn't leave your health system to some of these other companies, I think is gonna be really critical. So maximizing that talent and being committed to winning that space race I think is how I would see a health system coming out of this ahead.
0: That's a really interesting point that I haven't heard anyone else bring up. It's like, you know, I feel like there's two sides to this. You've obviously got the supply side and the demand side, which is what you're addressing right now. That on the supply side, you know, any health system who's thought about consumerism and considered it sort of a nice to have to address it might find themselves in an issue when they're competing against organizations where addressing the needs of their customer is the first thing they're thinking about, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Like that's what they were built on. And then on the other side, you've got the supply side, which is, you know, who do you need to staff this and run this?
1: Absolutely. So
0: it all goes back to first principles, microeconomics 101.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The brilliance of the basics. It's easy to think about an easy answer and a big answer and a a digital answer. But sometimes it just comes down to the basics. And if you get the basics right, you can apply it in any situation.
0: Matt Anderson, MD. Thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value
1: today. Thank you, Stacey.
0: Now we are speaking with Brian Klepper, PhD, who is the principal over at Worksite Health Advisors. Welcome to the Relentless Health Value podcast, Brian.
2: Glad to be here, especially talking to Stacey Richter. (laughs) The honor is mine.
0: Obviously, we have been talking about this tipping point that's coming for many years and then... It seems year over year, everyone expects employers to actually do some disruption. Like, this is the year that employers are going to disrupt. And then year after year, we don't see that happening. What, in your estimation, has forced the inertia to become action?
2: I think it's the combination of employers being up against the wall so much, but at the same time, real value-based solutions that are mature coming to the fore. Now you're getting into things like episode of care bundles that have a single bundled price and that can be judged on quality. And you can go and negotiate your rate with an organization that, that claims to get great results. I mean, the net result of this is costs that are 50 to 60% of what previous costs have been. And you've got large groups like the State of Connecticut Health, State Employees Health Plan which is something on the order of 250,000 lives moving to a model like that, that's a big chunk of lives. If you get a bunch of those moving, it begins to change the system. Things are moving slowly, but but surely in the right direction. And that's something I've never seen during the course of my career.
0: You know, you, you just said that now there are solutions on offer. One of the things that we have been focusing on, I would say, in the employer market is the demand side. Like, are employers demanding alternative solutions? But it sounds like there also is a supply side to this. It's like, you know, for the average employer, healthcare is not their primary business. So, you know, solutions need to be readily accessible and i what i mean by that is understandable maybe and simple enough that an employer can adopt without fearing the unknown
2: i think that's exactly right and i think more to the point the employers are sort of have been sort of at sea with this they've been unclear about what they can do and how they can do it but now you've got a, a bunch of innovative brokers who each control a lot of lives i get a dozen calls a week from various brokers who say, can you tell me who the high-performing services are so that I can pursue them on behalf of my employer and union clients? That's never happened before in my experience. And that's the result of the work that people like Dave Chase have done at, at Health Rosetta, that I've been working on for a long time, and that a lot of other people who are in the marketplace have been working on. And it's actually begun to get traction. I'm more optimistic than I've been in my during the course of my career.
0: So you've got the demand side of the equation and then the supply side. There are actually solutions. So we're potentially moving into a honest to God marketplace. Yeah. Okay. So enter the Teledoc Lavongo merger, whatever you want to call it. Enter... That gang onto the scene. Obviously, both Teledoc and Lavongo do have a track record working with employers. They are offering a solution that these employers are purchasing. How does the pandemic accelerate adoption of services, right, like that, which are contracted directly by the employer and which, nothing for nothing, are not the provider down the street?
2: In this case, TeleDoc and Livongo are billing themselves as high-value services. The translation of that means services that consistently deliver better health outcomes and or lower costs, particularly within a high-value niche like diabetes. Everybody in his wooden-legged brother claims that they have a high-value service, but very few actually do. Then the magic of marketing comes and organizations that often don't have any credibility Build themselves as having credibility and nobody holds their feet to the fire to demand
0: it. So just interject, when you say organizations that have great marketing, are we talking about the local, I don't know, endocrinologist office? Are they putting together marketing campaigns which are swaying local employers to double down on the spend to that local endocrinologist?
2: I think you make a great point. The local provider who's now typically associated with one of the local health systems, is the default go-to organization. And organizations like TeleDoc and Livongo have had to make the argument that they offer something that is significantly different and better, and that you should go to them rather than going to the local endocrinologist. COVID has accelerated that by ramping up the cost equation so heavily that the argument can be made that you can do way better.
0: So if you are a local provider and you, you know, six, six months ago, you stood up a telehealth solution and maybe it's a little clunky, nothing for nothing. And that was okay six months ago.
2: I think that the stakes have just gotten much higher for health systems in general and physicians as well of all types. To use the, the phrase that my friend Jeff Hogan in Connecticut uses, a very influential broker, going forward, all health systems and doctors are going to have to be fully interoperable and longitudinal. They're going to have to be connected to other organizations within the continuum, and they're going to have to be able to read and write information that can be read by anybody.
0: And when you say they're going to need to, do you mean because employers will demand it? Like that is becoming a checkbox on an employer's list of who gets to be a preferred provider.
2: As a pragmatic matter, in order to function effectively in the marketplace, organizations that can't be interoperable, that aren't longitudinal, will be at a disadvantage and they'll be gradually marginalized out of the business.
0: And is another bit of this, you had mentioned marketing earlier, that if a entity is sort of unable to calculate what the results are that they are driving. You said multiple times in the course of this conversation that employers are looking for entities that can drive superior results. Well, if historically, I'm sure, if you said to most providers, like, how'd you do? They have not necessarily had a feedback loop or a mechanism, you know, maybe quality scores, right? But outside of things that somebody else is collecting to really assess their own performance and provide the basis for what I would consider, you know, any kind of data-driven marketing message, you know, back to an employer. Is that part and parcel to what you're saying that employers are going to want and need?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I tell all of my vendor clients that if they really want to be successful in a value-based environment, they need to be able to financially guarantee their performance. So for example, integrated musculoskeletal care out of, out of Tallahassee, Florida will financially guarantee a 25% reduction in total musculoskeletal spend for the patients they touch. That translates to a 4 to 6% reduction in total spend, which is a pretty big number. And I've got Lots of organizations that are taking the same approach right now, saying if we'll guarantee our results with you, that's something completely new in healthcare. As the employers that I'm aware of understand that there are organizations that are willing to do that, that's changing the contract dynamic.
0: And I did interview Chad Gray from Integrated Musculoskeletal Care in an interview maybe five months ago, if anyone is interested in going back and listening to that. But Brian, how... Does what an organization like CHADS and what they're up to right now, creating this national network really of integrated purveyors, I'm not sure what the right word is, of musculoskeletal care, how does that impact the local orthopedic surgeon or PT place down the street?
2: Well, if you go to Greenville, South Carolina, where that's actually happened, in the first year working with Michelin's, Michelin is located in Greenville, South Carolina. That's their North American headquarters. They've got something like, I don't know, 14,000 lives there or something like that. In the first year that integrated musculoskeletal care worked for them, there was a great outcry against it by the local provider community musculoskeletal surgeries in that population dropped 76 percent in the first year with better outcomes and at half the recovery time and at half the cost. And that's been validated externally. 76 percent drop? 76 percent drop in musculoskeletal surgeries. Musculoskeletal imaging dropped by half, injections dropped by two-thirds. It represents a serious threat to the to the long-standing paradigm. And that's what value-based organizations are all about. High-performance organizations represent a new paradigm in their niche. I've seen that in cancer management, cardiometabolic management, claims review, large claims resolution.
0: I think um, a 76% decline definitely counts as some sort of erosion. might be more of a landslide, depending on how, how fast it happened.
2: It speaks to the core problem of American healthcare, care, which is that we have developed a, a culture of excess. We've developed a culture not only where people do the wrong thing, but where they depend on doing the wrong thing because otherwise they can't keep their financials up. That problem has changed all of our care and cost patterns to be different than they are in all the other industrialized countries of the world. Value-based organizations, and particularly high-value ones, produce better health outcomes and or lower costs all through the continuum.
0: So as a general trend line, do you see then that organizations not limited to a Teladoc, Lavongo that combo, but, you know, high performing organizations that have been deemed high performing by groups such as yours, Brian?
2: Or the Validation Institute or or other independent third parties. Gotcha. That's really what we're looking for.
0: These very high performing, I'm going to say national scaled types of services. Maybe they've got a digital backbone, potentially. I mean, that's generally speaking how you scale nationally. There's some sort of digital nativeness about the operation. Right. You see that as a trend line. I do. I'm sure it's not entirely a zero-sum game, but let's just say that that upward swing of that trend line has the potential to negatively impact providers who are not, let's just say, hip (laughs) to what's going on in their marketplace and strategizing how they're going to compete kind of in this new framework.
2: Right. And I, th- I think that many health systems, for example, that have thrived under a fee-for-service model that is very receptive to over-treatment and egregious unit pricing are now beginning to to worry that their model can't last forever. And if they don't dip a toe in that water, they're going to get left behind.
0: And how many employers do you think are, rec- Are you know, you're a forward think- thinker, Brian, like you are generally speaking, if there's a pack, you're 200 yards ahead of it. <laughs> so Where's the pack of employers like where's the top of the bell curve? Do they think the same thing as you?
2: There are a number of employers that think differently. Michelin is one, Whole Foods is one, Costco, Walmart. Those are all big organizations, but they're made up of people like you and me. And inside their organizations, there is a culture that says we can get a better deal in the marketplace. One of the things to remember about all this is that a lot of this is driven by policy, and the healthcare industry has had complete domination over U.S. policy, both at the congressional and legislative level, for a long time, and that has sort of rigged the game. So it's very difficult to get meaningful change through policy because the industry owns it, but they don't own the marketplace, and it becomes very possible for a healthcare organization that's truly innovative to offer its clients a better deal with data. And I think that COVID has sensitized employers to be on the lookout for things that it could be could work for that. And a really good example of this is a, there's a broker in North Carolina where I live named Patrick Long, who is connected with the North Carolina Chamber and two North Carolina business associations where the organizations have figured out that their members have healthcare problems. And they've gone to this guide and said, bring us solutions. Well, I mean, he's got 2,300 self-funded employers in these three groups that are all looking to do something differently. That's a sea change. And that means that organizations, local organizations, for example, that that have always assumed that they were gonna be the, the default provider are suddenly discovering that they may not be certainly not for a lot of things, and everything is beginning to change. So you and I had talked about how things are moving very, very slowly, and they'll continue moving slowly and change until they won't, which means that they'll, there's a tipping point and then everything really, really will change quickly. I think we're very much down that road, and it's the thing that has made me more optimistic about healthcare than I've been during the course of my career.
0: Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to toss in at this moment or are we leaving it with that spectacular finale of a close?
2: I think that there's a a large and growing community in healthcare of, of healthcare professionals, you being prominent within that group, that are all going down this path. They're all talking to each other and they're all bought into the fact that there are better health outcomes and lower costs, very available and doable that this is achievable and that the lock that the legacy healthcare companies have had on, on American healthcare is shakier than it's ever been. That's a, a very exciting prospect. So I very much appreciate the chance to talk to you about it.
0: Well, I very much appreciate the chance to talk to you, Brian Klepper, PhD. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
2: Thanks so much, Stacey.
0: Don't forget, this is episode two of two. Check out the earlier episode, 292 part one. If you haven't already to hear my chat with Bob Matthews, he's in the chronic care management space. He's got a company called Medisync. Bob is also VP of quality for prime ed physicians in Ohio. And also in episode one, I talk to Dan O'Neill, M-A-M-S. Dan's a consultant who spent most of 2019 working in the Senate on the professional staff of the Health Committee working on issues related to health costs. Dan gives some really interesting insights about the whole ecosystem. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.